0: Now, speaking of dads, they emailed the Sheriff Fred the other day. Think that thing was accurate? I do.
1: I grew up seeing that kind of stuff all the time. You know, I wonder where all the good fathers went to.
0: Ain't that the truth? What? Remember you talking about your dad? was you he like an usher or something at your church? Yeah, well,
2: that doesn't mean, mean anything. As soon as the church service started, he'd step out back for a smoke.
0: You know,
2: one time, he says to me, I better not catch you drinking. Had a beer in his hand when he said it. My mom used to nag him. That is, till they got divorced. It's not like I don't love the guy, but it's kind of hard to respect a hypocrite.
0: What about you, David?
2: Mm. I had a good dad. I guess. I mean, the guy wasn't perfect. My parents split after he had an affair. But I think he regretted it. And I struggled with it for a while, but, I mean, you know, divorce just comes with the territory now. I disagree, man. Divorce happens because you're making an option. Nathan, you don't always know what's going to happen. You know, people change. You can't always work stuff out. Sometimes you need to part ways.
0: I think I agree with Nathan. Thank you. People don't fight for their marriage anymore. That's
1: right. What do you get married, have some kids, you're going to figure out real quick how much you don't know. <laughs> man, if it wasn't for my faith in God, I'd be in a tailspin right now.
2: Yeah, yeah me too. Look, mm. uh, guys, not everyone believes in that stuff. You guys are all religious, and that's fine, but you can't think religion is the only way to live your life. Religious? Yeah. It didn't work out for your parents didn't They get a divorce. <laughs> that's a the problem. They were never married.
1: Listen, my dad had six children from three different women, and I was the fifth child. Before I was born, he had already left. I'm 37 years old. And I've never met my biological father.
2: Well, looks like you turned out all right.
1: Well, that's because a man in my neighborhood named William Barrett mentored me as a teenager, taught me about God, and every Father's Day, he's the one that I call. I'm telling you, man, not having a father as a child, man, scarred me in more ways than I can count.
2: Look, guys, I... I've enjoyed our little heart-to-heart, but I need to take off and pay a few bills while there's still something left in my paycheck. Oh, speaking of paycheck, I talked to my man Javier. The guy did a phenomenal
0: job on my deck, and he's available next week, but he wants 150 a day. Uh, call him. you got to have somebody knows what they're doing. I'm taking vacation time, so i got to get it done. So, 8 o'clock Monday. Okay. I'll call him. See you boys in church tomorrow. <laughs>
3: How many of y'all have seen this movie, Courageous? Need to own it. Um, a few weeks ago, I talked about um, I can't watch certain movies anymore without crying. I'm getting old. And uh, my uh, good friend, Dwayne Lightfoot, who's a who's a man's man, came up to me afterwards. And he goes, man, I'm the same way. He's not here today, so I can tell you. his wife's here, but he's not. And he said, he goes, man, I'll be watching a movie with Angela. And she'll look over and she'll go, are you crying? No. I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm getting old, but I, I guess... As I'm approaching that 50-year mark, I'm I'm realizing that really, even though my kids are still at home, I don't have a lot of uh, control. I, I want influence, but I don't have a lot of that. And so I guess I'm thinking about, man, my, my job is pretty much done, and, and I'm praying to God that, that I did enough, that, that my kids will follow Him, because that's all I really want for them. In this movie, early the first scene is one of the men has his truck... Um carjacked and uh, so as as the guy is running off with driving off with the car He runs and he jumps on and he's the window's down and He's holding on to the steering wheel and they fight and there's all this scene It's very intense and then the truck wrecks and he falls down and then the getaway car comes up The bad guys get away and the lady comes out a lady who stops and she says sir Because he's crawling over trying to get to the truck and he says sir um, Don't worry about your truck. Your truck's okay. And he said i'm not worried about the truck He opens up the back door and you see his screaming son in the back seat Infant son. And uh, everybody, you know, it's just a heart wrenching moment. Well, after all of the reports have been taken, two of the deputies that you just saw in this scene, they're driving away and they look at each other and they say, Would you have held on to the wheel? And they didn't, they couldn't answer. It's as if they hadn't even thought about the possibilities. And the irony is that both of these men had all kinds of underlying issues going on in their homes that were about to to, uh, come to the surface. But they didn't even know. They hadn't even considered whether they would hold on to the wheel to protect their children. And if you would have asked these two tough deputies, I guarantee you they would have said, I would gladly die for my family. And that's awesome. But the problem is you only get to die once for your family. You have the opportunity every day to live for your family. And that is a much more difficult task to live for your family every day. And that's what your kids desperately need is for you dads to live for them and to point them the right way. Years ago, I think it was 97, Janie and I went on a mission trip to Montana. And we drove. Um, Caleb, go ahead and put that first picture up there if you would, Miriam. This is... Uh This is Beartooth Pass. We went to Montana, we worked, and then we went down to Yellowstone. We figured we're there, we might as well go, and this is Beartooth Pass. Now, Charles Kuralt, the late Charles Kuralt CBS correspondent, called this the most beautiful drive in America. Let me tell you just a little bit about this. Okay, it says that it's only open from mid-May through mid-October, weather conditions permitting. And here's what it says on the website. Because of high altitude, snowstorms can occur even in the middle of the summer, and the pass is also known for strong winds and severe thunderstorms. Forms. Drivers should plan on driving time of at least two hours for the 69-mile 60 mile long trip from Red Lodge to uh, Cook City. This is a good idea to check road conditions before you come in. Now, let me show you a couple other pictures. let show the next picture. Bear. This is a 40-foot snowdrift in the middle of um, the, the the pass, Beartooth Pass. Next one. This is a scene from the top, and then I included some pictures from our trip. So here's, show the first one. I don't remember what order they're in. This is Janie and Caleb. This is July 5th, 1997, and you see the snow there. As we drove a little bit further down the road, there's a glacier on the top of Beartooth Pass where they have snow uh, where they have skiing year round. They were skiing. Caleb and I had a little bit of a snowball fight when we were out there. Next picture. There's Caleb and I, Janie loves this picture. We're running down this little thing that's actually at uh uh Yellowstone. Next picture. This is our view from the top. There's a rest stop up at the top, and we remember these little chipmunks running around and all this stuff. And and one last picture, this is Rachel's view. Every picture, two weeks we we're in Montana. She was two months old. Every picture we have of Rachel, she's asleep. She has no recollection of anything. She's mouth open, drooling, all that stuff. Okay, now here's the deal. I'm not really, I didn't used to be afraid of heights. But we are driving, my parents are in the back of this van, Janie and my two children at the time, Hannah wasn't around yet. We're driving Beartooth Pass and it is treacherous. And so I'm driving this thing and for some reason I am white knuckling this steering wheel and, and I'm, I'm telling, I didn't even tell Janie until we got off of it that I was really worried for the first time in my life driving through the mountains. I've been on ski trips. I've taken all kinds of teenagers. I guess I don't, I'm not worried if it's your kids, but it's my kids and I'm, I'm, I'm white knuckling this thing. I'm thinking, man, my mom, dad, my wife and my kids are in here and this is, this is a gorgeous pass. It is gorgeous, but I'm not looking around because I'm thinking, dude, I can't go off the edge. I can't be distracted here. I wasn't talking. Because I'm thinking, I've got to pay attention to this thing. And I got to thinking that the problem in, in a lot of our lives is dads have let go of the wheel. We, we've stopped worrying about what's happening in our homes. And we're focusing on ourselves and what's going on in our lives. And we don't worry about our wives and our children. And you think about what would happen if you go over the cliff. Some of you have let go of the wheel. And so I've got some questions for dads today. Questions that we've got to ask, we've got to answer if we're going to be the type of dad that God wants us to be. So question number one, where are you driving your family? You are headed to a destination. You are driving. You are God's leader for your family, whether you accept the role or not. You are designated by God to be the leader. It doesn't mean that you, you get to uh, be a taskmaster or a dictator, but you are responsible to God for where you are leading your family. Just before Moses died, Big Mo, he's the, he is the most revered leader in the, in the Jewish nation. Just before he died, God told Moses to anoint a leader after him. And his name was Joshua. And so Joshua's the one who got to lead the Israelites into the Promised Land. Moses leads them out of Egypt, out of slavery. They cross the Red Sea. They do all of this incredible stuff. They get the Ten Commandments. And and they turn their backs on God. They wander for 40 years. Just at the end of that 40 years, God tells Moses to anoint Joshua as the next leader. Joshua takes them into the promised land. God does some unbelievable stuff. Joshua helps the 12 tribes get their inheritance that God said, I'm going to give each tribe an inheritance. Joshua does that. Comes to the end of the book of Joshua, chapter 24, and Joshua's about to die. And so he gathers everybody together and he says, I've got some words for you. This is it in Joshua 24, 14. By the way, this is on um, version. If you have that, you can follow along there. So fear the Lord. This is what Joshua says to all the Israelites. So fear the Lord and serve Him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods? Now, notice it's a lowercase g, and this is describing anything that's man-made. There is one God, capital G, G, his name is Jehovah, and then there's all kinds of different names in in the scripture um, for him. He's provider, he's sustainer, he's protector, he's deliverer, um, he uh, resurrects the dead. All of those names in scripture. But this is a lowercase g because there's one God, and he even says, I know of no other gods. There are none other than me. There's a God exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's nothing else. So this lowercase g, he says, okay, if you're going to choose something else, choose those gods. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates River? Or if it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? And then he says, I'm drawing a line. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And look what the people say. This is big. Look what the people say. We would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods, lowercase G. Joshua said, "This is such a big deal, gang! You've gotten your inheritance. You've gotten what God has promised you. I'm about to go meet God. But even if you never follow me, I've already made the decision that I will follow God. My household will follow God." And the people are like, "Yes, yeah, oh!" And they get all excited. They rally around Joshua. We're going to follow God. Woo hoo! Look at verse 31. The people of Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him, those had pers- who had personally experienced all that the Lord had done for Israel. So here's the thing. Joshua knew God personally. He didn't know about God. He knew God personally. He had experienced God over and over throughout his life. And he led his family and he led the country the way a man should. The elders who were around Joshua, they knew God personally. They had experienced God on a regular basis. They hadn't heard stories about him. They knew God. And they led their families and they led their country the way men should. But something happened right after this that is an embarrassment in the history of Israel. I want you to look what happens with God's chosen people in Judges chapter 2. Joshua and then Judges 2nd chapter after that generation died, talking about Joseph, uh, Joshua and all of the elders who outlived him. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord. Now, if you know anything about Jewish history, you know that from the time boys can read, they begin teaching them the scripture. They begin teaching them stories and songs about God. So that by the time they are adults... They have most of the the Bible memorized, if not all of it. And, of course, theirs was just the the Old Testament, and at this time it was just the first five books, the books that that, uh, Moses had written. They had it memorized. So it wasn't ignorance of who God is. It wasn't ignorance of what God had done. They'd heard about God. Here it is. They did not acknowledge God. They did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things He had done. It's such a huge moment in Israel's history and they blow it. This was not ignorance, this was willful disobedience. We will not acknowledge the name of the Lord. And then I want you to see the result of this cuz guys, this is what happens if we let go of the wheel. Judges chapter 17 verse 6. In those days Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Let's bring this to today. In America, we don't we don't worry about a king. There are no dads who acknowledge the Lord. And so what happens is our children do whatever is right in their own eyes. And we sit back and say, I don't have enough time to deal with you. Because I'm worried about me and where I'm going. Now, there are a few. but, But I think you look around in our society and you'll say that everyone in America as a whole is doing whatever they think is right in their own eyes, right? There doesn't seem to be an authority. We won't even go into the politics of this week. I am, by the way, I am going to preach a sermon before we get to, uh, um, in November before we get to the election. I'm calling it Politicked. And I'm going to share with you what I believe is God's idea for the leaders in our land. But that's, that's in the future. You'll have to come back for that. So the people rejected God. They did what seemed right in their own eyes. And the result was chaos in their time. The result in our time is chaos because men have let go of the wheel. Well, what's the answer? I mean, what's, there's a dilemma. What's the answer? The key is in this next video clip. Watch this.
2: Hey, Nathan, can I ask you something? Yeah, what's up? Do you really feel like it messed up your childhood not having a dad? <laughs> More than you know.
1: I struggled with who I was, trying to prove myself, almost got in the game. You know, if fathers just did what they're supposed to do, half of the junk that we face on the streets, wouldn't exist. Why are you worried about it? You nervous about being a father one day?
2: I already am one. You got a kid? little girl she's four now I was playing ball in college hooked up with a cheerleader I told her to take care of it she didn't do it so I got mad and left her to deal with herself you know she lives 30 minutes away now I can't bring myself to go see her. She married? No. I just never really loved her, you know. And then hearing you guys talk about how fathers walking out and messed up the kids, and then seeing this stuff, I not want to be one of those guys,
1: David part of being a man is about taking responsibility any fool can have a child i'm just tired of feeling guilty i'm gonna break it to you this way you are guilty listen yes, one day you me <laughs> and every one of us are gonna have to stand before god and he's gonna do
2: what good judges do well then i hope my good outweighs my bad Nathan the way it works, you know that
1: let me put it this way who's the person you're closest to? probably my mom okay suppose she was brutally attacked and murdered in a parking lot the guy was caught and put on trial but he says hey judge, I committed this crime but I've done a lot of good in my life if the judge let him go free would you say he was a good judge or a bad judge a bad one that's right because the bible says that god is a good judge and he will punish the guilty not for what they did right but for what they did wrong because he loved us he sent his son jesus christ to take the punishment that we deserve and put it on himself and that's why he died on the cross but it only applies if you accept it That's why I asked for his forgiveness. I asked him to save me. And I'm a new man because of Christ. You understand what I'm telling you?
2: Then what's holding you back?
3: Nothing. Love this scene. Because it kind of points out what we need to talk about today. Um, you are driving your family somewhere, men. And, and if you, the first question you have to ask, answer is, where am I driving my family? But if you're going to get to the right destination, you got to answer the second question, which is, who is your authority? You have an authority, whether you want to admit it or not. And God always works through authority. And uh, that authority might be you, it might be another person that you highly value. And the really sad thing is, is when your authority has no more vision for the future than you do. When the person that you allow to influence you the most has no idea what tomorrow holds. That doesn't make a lot of sense to allow that person to influence your life and where you're driving, your destination. Um, if, you're, uh, if your authority is anyone other than God, no offense, but that's just not very smart. Uh, i got a couple of pictures back there. Put that up, Miriam. This is a picture of a football game. I love this picture. Now, um, this is an awesome hit, but can any of you tell me what happened going on before this hit? Anyone know what's going on? You can make guesses, right? But you don't know. Next picture. Here's another picture. Do you know what's happening in this game? You got any clue what's going on? Besides that the quarterback has the ball, he's about to hand it to the running back. Anybody? Anyone? They put coaches in the press box. You want to know why? Because they have a better view of the game. Show the next picture. Now, this is a kickoff, and you can see the whole field. You got a better perspective. Next picture. I love this picture. This is a team trying to score, and you see the three guys right there on the goal line? If you're up in the in the uh, press box, you know that the play you just called isn't going to work because there's one receiver out in the in the pattern, and there are three guys back there covering him. So why do they have coaches in the press box and not on the sidelines? Because they got a better perspective and they've got these headphones on and they're talking to them. Why don't they put coaches in the parking lot? Wouldn't that be stupid? Hey, uh, what play should we run? I don't know. It looks kind of congested on I-45 today. Let's just go long. That's stupid, right? Okay, why then? Do you and I let people who have no view of our future, no view of our past, no understanding of who we are, why do we allow them to have influence in our lives? That's stupid. Sorry. I need someone who can see the future, who is God. And the Bible says, in the abundance of counselors there is victory. Don't go to stupid counselors in the parking lot to figure out what you should do next. There should be some people in your life who are more mature spiritually than you are that you can go to them. And even what they're going to do is they're going to say, you need to go to God. And maybe God gives them a word for you. Sometimes that happens. It happens in families all the time. But you need to have somebody who has a better perspective than you do. And let me just give you a little bit of cheap advice here. Your friends, for the most part, do not have a better perspective than you do. If you need perspective on marriage... Don't go to the person who's been divorced five times. I'm not criticizing anyone who's been divorced five times. But you need to have somebody who's seeking God with all of their heart. Then you allow them to have influence in your life. Doesn't that make more sense? It does to me. I guess it doesn't to y'all. We'll just keep plowing along. You remember when, when you were a kid, and and all you wanted to do was get out of your parents' house because then, then you would have freedom. No one telling me what to do. Man, were we wrong. To only have my parents telling me what to do. April 15th, you and I have a date with the IRS. Is that an optional date? That's someone telling me what I have to do with my money, Right? Um, I have insurance people. No, no, no offense intended, but they tell me, I get these little reminders telling me what I have to do and when. I've got Dish Network. I've got all these cell phones. I've got all these people telling me what to do and when to do it. When I'm driving down the road and I see Officer Baker, I pray to God it's Officer Baker. Because he, he told me one time, he said, man, I just, I'm just not going to No, If I know it's a preacher, I ain't stopping a preacher. I'm not going to get in trouble with God. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. No, I'm just kidding, kidding, kidding. <laughs> I would not want him. In fact, I'm one of those. I'm like, man, just bust me because I, need, I deserve it. But why do you look at your speedometer when you see a cop? Because that policeman is helping you to remember that someone else is telling you what you better be doing or it's going to affect your pocketbook, right? Everybody's telling you what to do all the time. You have an authority figure, and just if it was just a parent. Is there anything glamorous about paying bills? No, no but we sure think it, that, that something's glamorous about being out on our own. Every human being has a desire for freedom, the desire to be in charge of our lives. And what that really means is I want to do what I want to do without any consequences. You see, most human beings want other people to follow rules. We just don't want to follow the rules ourselves. I want you to be law-abiding citizens. I want you to stand in line. I want you to do all those things, but I don't want to have to do that, right? Are you with me? Anybody else like that? It's just the preacher. When you stop and consider the life of Jesus, Jesus gives us an illustration of this next point. (laughs) And this goes against everything you will hear outside the church. Maximum freedom is found under God's authority. Maximum freedom is found under God's authority. In John 5, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath day and and the religious leaders get all bent out of shape because he dared to break one of their man-made rules. And so they have this big, long discussion about it. And Jesus says this in John 5, 30. He goes, I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. Jesus is saying, I'm following orders. I am under the authority of God, my father. I don't do anything that he doesn't tell me to do. I don't do anything that he doesn't show me that he's doing. I only do what my father tells me to do. And that allowed him to be the freest man who ever lived. Because you remember right before he was crucified, he was standing before Pilate. And Pilate says, don't you know, I have the authority to either free you or kill you. And Jesus said, you got no power over me, dude. And it shook Pilate up because he'd never encountered someone like this. He said, the only authority you have was given to you by my father. And if my father gives you the authority to kill me, I'm okay with that. That's a free man. You and I are under authority. We just got to decide whose authority that we're under. And maximum freedom is found under God's authority. So my question that, that you need to answer, guys, is who is your authority? You need to know that today. Third question you need to answer. Who are you running from? All right, dudes. We've been telling the truth today. Why to stop now? There are basically two types of people in your life. There are people whom you need to forgive. And there are people who need to forgive you. Right? Because we're dudes. We're bucket heads when it comes to this stuff. We're prideful. And, and you know, I'm not saying I'm sorry. I'm not asking you to forgive. It's his fault. Yeah yeah, 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 We act like infants. Right? And so, watch this next clip. You're going to see an example of a guy, of one guy who's running from something, uh, from someone he needs to forgive, and the other one who's running from someone that needs to forgive him.
2: Dear Amanda, I know it's a shock for you to hear from me, but I need to tell you what's happened in my life. In the last two years, I become a deputy for the Albany Sheriff's Office. This job is tough, but I work with some of the best guys in the world. Being a cop has forced me to see the worst in people and see how one person's selfish decisions can hurt so many others. Recently, I had a life-changing experience and began a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I've still got a lot to work on, but he's helping me make sense out of my life and take more responsibility for who I am as a man. For years, I've been afraid to admit that I have a daughter. I'm doing nothing to take care of her. I see now that every child is a gift from God. I now know how wrong I've been and have asked God to forgive me for what I've done to you and Olivia. I'm writing this letter to tell you that I've decided to stop running. If you're willing, I'd like to meet with you and begin the process of rebuilding your trust, in time, and with your permission. I hope to meet Olivia personally and let her know that she is a father who cares about her. I have no other expectations. I'm only asking for a chance to be a part of Olivia's life, and I'll wait for your response. Until then, I've begun to pray for you and Olivia, and having closed a symbol of my commitment to begin doing my part to help with her care. Sincerely, David Thompson. Okay, God Whatever you want to do I'm ready
1: My name is Nathan Hayes And I'm your son I've wasted too much time being angry with you and asking why you were never there for me I've always felt like I needed to prove myself to you that I was worth being loved but I realized that I have a heavenly father who loves me even when my earthly father did not but he is more than enough because of him I've forgiven you He is your judge, not me. Now live with the hope that you gave him your life before you die. So that one day I'll finally meet you face to face.
3: I guarantee you there's someone in your life, and this goes for men and women both that you need to forgive, or there's someone who needs to forgive you. And I just want to show you very clearly the example that that the Bible gives us about this idea. It's called the Ministry of Reconciliation. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. That's key key right there. I no longer evaluate you from a human point of view when I'm near my heavenly Father. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. There's our theme verse as a church. New Life Community Church comes from this. We're supposed to be about helping people discover new life. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Our job is to reconcile people to God. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. The message of this Bible is that you are either a child of God or an enemy of God. There's no in-between. There is, um, too often church members are trying to bully people into the kingdom of God instead of loving people into the kingdom of God. We try to, we try to judge people for the way that they act, but, but the thing is, when we draw near to God, we see people in a different light. We see them as sinners in need of a Savior. We see them as sheep Without a shepherd. That's the way the Bible describes people who are far from God. And when we see them like that, we realize that our job is to reach out to them and encourage them to enter the kingdom of God. This ministry of reconciliation is exactly what we talked about last week when Jesus walked up to Zacchaeus and he said, I'm coming to your house today. And then at the end of the time, when Zacchaeus gives his life to God, he says, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. We've got to be following in Jesus' footsteps. And so we have to look at each other with the eyes of Christ. But God's not going to use you while you're running from those you've hurt or from those who've hurt you. You, need, you and I need to be reconciling with one another and reconciling people to God. That's what our church should be known for. All right, fourth question. Who will lead your family? And this is, this is my favorite scene in, in the whole movie. We'll wrap it up after this one.
0: As a law enforcement officer, I've seen firsthand the deep hurt and devastation that fatherlessness brings in a child's life. Our prisons are full of men and women who have lived recklessly after being abandoned by their fathers, wounded by the men who should have loved them the most. Many of these children now follow the same pattern of irresponsibility that their fathers did. While so many mothers have sacrificed to help their children survive, They were never intended to carry the weight alone. We thank God for them. But research is proving that a child also desperately needs a daddy. There's no way around this fact. As you know, earlier this year, my family endured the tragic loss of our nine-year-old daughter, Emily. Her death forced me to realize that Not only had I not taken advantage of the priceless time I had with her, but that I did not truly understand how crucial my role was as a father to her and our son Dylan. Since her passing, I've asked God to show me through his word how to be the father that I need to be. I now believe that God desires for every father to courageously step up and do whatever it takes to be involved in the lives of his children. But more than just being there, providing for them, he's to walk with them through their young lives and be a visual representation of the character of God, their Father in heaven. The Father should love his children and seek to win their hearts. He should protect them, discipline them and teach them about God. He should model how to walk with integrity and treat others with respect and should call out his children to become responsible men and women who live their lives for what matters in eternity. Some men will hear this and mock it, or ignore it. But I tell you that as a father, you are accountable to God for the position of influence he has given you. You can't fall asleep at the wheel, only to wake up one day and realize that your job or your hobbies have no eternal value. But the souls of your children do. Some men will hear this and agree with it, but have no resolve to live it out. Instead, they will live for themselves and waste the opportunity to leave a godly legacy for the next generation. But there are some men who regardless of the mistakes we've made in the past, regardless of what our fathers did not do for us, We'll give the strength of our arms and the rest of our days to loving God with all that we are and to teach our children to do the same. And whenever possible, to love and mentor others who have no father in their lives but who desperately need help and direction. And we are inviting any man whose heart is willing and courageous to join us in this resolution. In my home, the decision has already been made. You don't have to ask who will guide my family, because by God's grace, I will. You don't have to ask who will teach my son to follow Christ, because I will. Who will accept the responsibility of providing and protecting my family? I will. Who will ask God to break the chain of destructive patterns in my family's history? I will. Who will pray for it? and bless my children to boldly pursue whatever God calls them to do. I am their father. I, I accept this responsibility and it is my privilege to embrace it. I want the favor of God and His blessing on my home. Any good man does. So where are you men of courage? Where are you fathers who fear the Lord? It's time to rise up and answer the call that God has given to you and to say, I will,
3: I will, I will. I don't know how, as a man, you can watch that and not be fired up and and want to be the type of man to leave a legacy. Um, August 26th, that week, we're going to start at least one, maybe two uh, Bible studies called Discovering Authentic Manhood, and we're going to go the, the fall semester, we're going to go the spring semester, and we're going to study. We're, going to, we're going to, The first one we're going to start is, I think, at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning, if you're interested in that. The reason I'm doing it at 8 o'clock is so the band can come, so if you come, you can go back and get your families and bring your families to church. We're just going to start, and we're going to see who who uh, comes and, and who wants to be a part of that. And then if there is interest and you can't come on a Sunday and you'd rather come during the week, I'll do another one during the week. Because by with God's grace, with God's help, I want this to be a, a church where there are more godly men than godly women. No, no offense, women, but I'm tired of being in churches where the women stand up and carry the load. I want to be in a church where the men do what men are supposed to do. And so I'm challenging you guys to write that on your card today. If you want to be a part of a Sunday study, you put it on Sunday. If you want to be a part of the week, maybe a Tuesday morning, if that works better for you, you put. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make us a group of men who change our families and change our destinies. And I don't know if any of you want to do that or not. I, I have a feeling in my heart that you do. And in just a moment, I'm going to give you guys a chance to come stand up here and publicly say, I want to be the man that God has created me to be. Now, before we finish, we've got some baskets at the back. We've got our registration card basket. I want you to fill that card. Go ahead. Fill the card out. On the back, I always ask you to write something down. I want you to, to, to write down which question it is that you most need to answer, men or, or ladies, that you want your family uh, to answer. Where are you driving your, your family? Um, what's number two? I'm, I'm out of order here. Who's your authority? Who are you running from? And who will lead your family?